Welcome to our online messages. At WCC, we are in a season of action. And today, Pastor Cyrus shares with us from the book of Acts, chapter 2, about the birth of the church. We are going to spend time in the book of Acts. In fact, you notice it's the season of action. And we are saved to be. And the saved to be will be developed. But the season of action is something that we are in the midst of right now. And whenever you turn to a book in the Bible, you need to know a few things about it. And for example, the book of Acts is a story, but it's a true story. It's historical, yet it's narrative. There's um, dialogue, and there are different scenes, and there's even a narrator sometimes, right? And as a historical narrative, what you find out is that this is primarily telling you what happened. This is a story of what happened. It's not necessarily a prescription of what you should do. Right? Sometimes you will get some of those things in here. But primarily, whenever you read a story, your, pri- your first purpose is to see what happened. And then secondarily, you'll say, how does that then work into my life? And so this is primarily descriptive. As we read the book of Acts, we say, okay, what can we learn from this? And what we find out is that the book of Acts is, a, is about many amazing things, about signs and wonders, about miracles, but that's not really what the book's about. The book is really about what God is doing to spread the good news throughout the world. The story is really about God. And we will be seeing that as we study the book of Acts. We'll see what God is doing through his people. And so last week, we looked at the chapter that starts the whole book off, chapter 1, verse 8. And in chapter 1, verse 8, Dylan shared with us that it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we're going to look at when the Holy Spirit comes upon us today. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, talking about these disciples, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so that's the premise. That's the very beginning, and that's the foundation which this book is built upon. So last week, we recognized that we were saved to be a witness. Saved to be a witness. And a witness is something that you are, not just something that you do. You see, we will be discussing more about our being than what we're doing. Being a witness is a lifestyle, not just an activity. You don't say, I'm just going to go witness today, although you may say that. Our hope is that you may recognize that you are a witness every day, right? You are telling a story with your life, and you are demonstrating what's important to you, the way you spend your time, your money, the kinds of books you read, the kinds of shows you watch, right? what you do with your free time, how you treat your family. It's all part of your witness. I loved Dylan's example of how when uh, Damian Lillard, is that his name, Dylan? He hit a game-winning shot, then Dylan went into the gym and tried to hit a few from 37 feet, right? He was imitating Damian Lillard, right? Thankfully, the Trailblazers have Damian Lillard and not Dylan. (laughs) 
because I don't know how well Damian Lillard does with youth groups. And so you're so much more valuable to us, okay? So you are a witness. You imitate something. You demonstrate something with your life. You need to be a witness for the Lord. As a believer, that's what he has called you to do, right? You are a witness. It's not something you do. It's who you are. This week, we are recognizing that we are saved to be the church. We are saved to be the church. And as the church, you must recognize that the church is a group of people, not a building. Church does not happen on Sunday. Church happens wherever we go as believers. Because church is a called out group of people that have trusted in Jesus Christ for their salvation. So today we will be reading, actually, the birth of the church when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples in Acts chapter 2. So how appropriate. On Mother's Day we're talking about birth. And I really appreciated what Pastor Scott had to say about how God really does demonstrate life-giving and birth and creativity, right? And he created the church, gave birth to the church. And we're reading about that today. So if you have your Bibles, either turn or tap your way to Acts chapter 2, or you can use a Bible that's right there around you that the church has provided, and that's page 909 in that Bible, okay? And I would like you to read with me and put on your imagination caps, okay? We've provided imagination caps for each and every one of you. They're also right next to you. You'll notice them, right? You have to use your imagination to see them, of course. (laughs) So put on that imagination and come into the story with me as we read. These uh, brothers, these fellow believers, they're in the upper room. There's about 120 of them when this story begins. Verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. You're not just imagining that. A loud, mighty rushing wind, even mightier, yes. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, 
What does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Whoa, that's an incredible story. Let's stay in the story together. Go back to verse 1 and let's talk our way through this incredible story. When the day of Pentecost arrived, Pentecost means 50th. And it's the 50th day since um, a special day in the, in the feast of Passover time that they were having before this. And they were celebrating another feast. And this feast had to do with the harvest of the barley, but it was before the harvest of the wheat. And so it was kind of like a harvest party. They were celebrating first fruits. They were also looking back as a, as the, as a nation and celebrating what God had done and the promises that he had made. And they were all together in one place. This place was an upper room. And if you've been to Jerusalem, which I have not, you find out that the temple was located in a place where people wanted to gather for these feasts and these festivals. And so around these feasts and these festivals were these homes with large upper rooms. And again, going back to chapter 1, we would see that there were about 120 brethren or Jesus people in this upper room. 120. Now, if you look around here, look around and see how many people are here today. Um, If I were to guess, I would say somewhere between um, about 220, okay? So imagine about half the room, okay? We're going to go with this half. Imagine this many people were gathered together in the upper room. That's quite a few people, isn't it? And they were all there together in one place when this mighty rushing wind came about them. This sound filled the entire house, but it was so loud that people began to notice outside the house. And the people started to wonder. Verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. We don't know exactly what was going on because there's a lot of like tongues, like fire, How did it really um, sit on each one of them, rest on each one of them? I don't know. But this is what it reminds me of. And they were Jewish people. And so they understood the story of the Old Testament really well. And there's this incredible story of God rescuing the nation of Israel from Egypt and taking them into the wilderness. And God used a pillar of fire to lead them wherever they went. And this pillar of fire was a reminder that he was with them. It was a reminder of his presence being there. And that was where they would meet with him. So whether it was with the tabernacle or whether they were traveling, the pillar of fire represented God's presence. I can't help but think of that when these little tongues of fire came upon each one of them. And what we realize is that the Holy Spirit was coming to indwell Believers, the church was born when the Holy Spirit came to indwell believers. And it was at this time that we see amazing things began to happen. 
Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So I mentioned earlier, these people went to one of the most important festivals or feasts, and that was Passover. And 50 days later, they would have celebrated Pentecost. Now, I want to show you a map where these people came from. You notice they came from this whole empire. Okay, Jerusalem there in yellow, that's where this, is, this story is taking place. But people traveled all the way from Rome, Asia, Crete, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Pontius, Cappadocia, Judea, the Medes and the Parthians would have been over here, Elam, Mesopotamia, Arabia, Egypt, Libya, all this whole area, people traveled to Jerusalem to come to these feasts and festivals. And if they would have traveled all that way for the Passover, many of them would have stayed because to travel such a great distance and then to try to come back 50 days later for this would have been an extreme amount of money and a hardship. So many stayed. And when they would stay, they would, of course, spend time around the temple. And so when this sound happened, a lot of people recognized. Now, we can look ahead. How big is a multitude? Is this a multitude? This might just be a crowd. But a multitude, we know from the rest of this chapter, were thousands of people. You see, after Peter gets up and shares the gospel, we know that over 3,000 come to believe. That doesn't count the ones who didn't believe. So thousands of people heard this sound and came to where they heard it. Uh, how many of you enjoy airplanes or jets? Mm, both of you do. Good. <laughs> there are some amazing machines out there, right? F-15 Tomcats, anyone? I was at a stadium, and a couple of these fighter jets flew over, okay? But they're going so fast, the only thing you really hear is this roar, right? This roar that's like a mighty rushing wind, kind of. And you can't help yourself, but you just, you're so focused, and your attention goes immediately to where you hear the sound, Right? Similarly, this is happening in the story, this mighty rushing wind. Was it an actual rushing wind? I don't think so, because it might have blown the little tongues of fire out like candles, right? No, it just says like a sound. And so I think this sound was so loud that it drew the attention of all these people so that they could hear the mighty works of God. So what happens is, these people are, are drawn to this location because of this loud sound, and they begin hearing something. They were amazed and astonished, verse 7, saying, Are not all these who speak Galileans? Now, if you look at the map, you've got the little star there. That's Jerusalem. Just north of there is a little, we'd call it a lake, but they called it the Sea of Galilee. Okay? Just above the S in Jerusalem, between the S and the A, that's the Dead Sea. And the River Jordan goes all the way up to the Sea of Galilee. 
these guys, primarily the disciples, were from that area. And the Galileans were known for being fishermen, not for being linguists, right? They were good, hardworking people, but they weren't known for being very scholarly. They weren't, if you wanted to know who the um, intelligent people in the room were, you would be able to tell by their accents they were from Galilee and they weren't your people, okay? Now, we can relate to that to some degree. There are wonderful communities where there are a lot of great, hardworking people, but they're just not known for being linguists or scholars, right? There's, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that's the culture. And so when they were saying, wait a minute, these people are Galileans, they were saying they're not known for knowing all these other languages. What's going on here? Verse 8, how is it that we... Here, each of us in our own native language. I want to talk to you about this concept of their own native language a little bit. You see, in verse 6, it also said, they were hearing each one in his own language. So, if you wouldn't mind this side of the room, would you please play along? I would like you to tell me your plans for after church, okay? Tell me what your plans are for after church. Just for 10 seconds, all at once, tell me what your plans are for after church. Ready? Go. I, I, heard, I think I heard something about food and a blazer game. That's, that's all I heard. But I really couldn't understand what was being said. So imagine 120 people are now all speaking in different languages. Yet all of these people were able to hear it in their own native language. That's their birth language. That's like their heart language. Okay. This area was primarily conquered by a guy named Alexander. Right? Alexander the Great. And what he brought to all of these places, most of these places, was the Greek language. And Greek was the common language. So most of these people would have already been able to communicate with one another using Greek. That's why the New Testament was written in Greek. In fact, Greek was such an influential language that the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek so that more people could understand it. And that's what we call the Septuagint. Okay? So the Greek language was incredibly important and well-known in this time. Yet when God the Holy Spirit wanted to reach the, those people, he used their native language. The word for language here is dialect. So it's not even just the general language. It's their birth language. It's their heart language. And if you've studied language, you'll know that even within a country that speaks one language, they have their individual dialects in different parts of the country, right? Anyone from the south, right? They've got their own southern dialect. They have phrases and words and things that are a little bit harder for maybe some of us to understand. <laughs> I'm not trying to put down the South. Some very intelligent people are in the South. NASA is in the South, okay? So, so when you think about what's going on, you'll notice there's a, there are a lot of people from a lot of different places that are gathered around and hearing a message in their own heart language. And their response, you notice in verse 6 and in verse 7 and 8, they were amazed, astonished. 
People were bewildered. People were amazed, astonished, and perplexed by what was going on. And that just leads me to the next question in my heart, which is, when was the last time you were bewildered, amazed, astonished, and perplexed by God? When was the last time that you spent time with God and came away being amazed, perplexed, bewildered, or astonished? You know, when we stop and think about all that God has done and who he is, we should get a wide-eyed experience and recognition because of his power. We should stand amazed in his presence. We should be astonished by his grace. We should be perplexed by his love. So what does it mean if we haven't? If we haven't been in that place of bewilderment, or amazed, or astonished, or perplexed? What if we haven't had that response to God lately? What might that mean? Maybe we aren't spending time with him like we should. Maybe we don't know him like we should. Maybe we aren't walking with him in faith like we should. Maybe we are loving the world more than we are loving him. Being bewildered, amazed, astonished, and perplexed, I think, would characterize the people of God because we are coming face to face with someone who is so much different and greater than we are. But what was happening? And that's what the people were asking. The reason they were so bewildered, amazed, astonished, and perplexed is because they were trying to figure out what just happened. What What the what? What just happened? And for that, we're going to go back to the words of Jesus. You see, Jesus foretold of this Holy Spirit. So I'm going to put up a few scripture references here, and we'll quickly go through Jesus' discussion with his disciples the night before he was crucified. In John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So you'll notice the Holy Spirit is going to be requested by the Son and, the, and sent by the Father. All three persons of the Trinity working together all having different roles and different responsibilities, all working seamlessly to accomplish a great and incredible task in the lives of humanity, ultimately for their glory. Verse, uh, chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father... He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So here we see the concept of the witness that Dylan talked about last week that we see in chapter 1, verse 8. This concept of being a witness is happening because of the Holy Spirit, or will happen in case of this story, right? But again, you see this response of the Trinity, The helper, being the Holy Spirit, from the Father, 
proceeding from the Father, bearing witness about the Son, because the Son was sent by the Father, there is this wonderful harmony happening within the Trinity that we are able to witness. In the next chapter, Jesus again talks about the importance. John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of, on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Again, the relationship in the Trinity is something that is, we can learn a lot about. We can learn a lot about our relationships and caring for one another because the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they are all equal. They are all eternal, yet they have different roles and responsibilities. You notice here, the Holy Spirit will not speak on his own authority, but instead the Holy Spirit will work in the lives of those disciples and those Jesus people so that they may understand who Jesus is, what he has accomplished, and why it makes a difference in their lives. You see, the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, as he was speaking to his disciples, was that he will guide you. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He guides. The other thing the Holy Spirit does, and you'll notice at the end of 16, is that he glorifies. Jesus said, he will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So in a very real way, the Holy Spirit continues the ministry of the Son in the lives of humanity, right? And so you see this wonderful interaction, and then in the book of Acts, you see the Holy Spirit begin to take his prominence in humanity. And that's really what the Holy Spirit's about. The Holy Spirit's not really about any other person except for God himself and what God is doing in humanity through the gospel. This is God's plan for the church, by the way. The Holy Spirit wants to be guiding you and me as a church, guiding us to be loving and kind, guiding us to be like Christ, so that ultimately God receives the glory as we tell of what he has done. So moms, dads, Mother's Day people, please hear that this is all part of God's plan to support one another. The church that he is giving birth to in Acts chapter 2 is to come together so that we can do great things, so that he can be glorified, and he's provided the Holy Spirit and his people to help us through. That's one of the reasons we have this Mornings for Moms ministry is so that moms can come together to be encouraged by his word. So, what else is the Holy Spirit doing? Well, moments before his ascension, Jesus baptized, Jesus says, John baptized with water. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 5. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Baptism is an interesting thing. What do we mean by that? Well, thankfully, Paul wrote more about it. So we see, we'll ask this question. What was the Holy Spirit doing in, in Acts chapter 2? He was baptizing the disciples into the body of Christ. 
1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized or placed into, identified with one body. That's the body of Christ. Whether you are a Jew or a Greek, in other words, no matter what person, no matter what background, no matter where you were born, slave or free, no matter what your status, okay, there is nothing that can disqualify you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have been placed into the body of Christ. You were baptized into this, uh, this is what we call spiritual baptized, and spiritually baptized, and you were all made to drink of one spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing that day. He was giving birth to the body of Christ. The church has been born. So what else was the Holy Spirit doing? Well, he was guiding. He was guiding their speech and actions. Right? We see that in, in chapter 2, verse 4. The Spirit gave them utterance. It was the Holy Spirit that gave them the ability to speak and gave them the message to speak. So let me ask you, is the Holy Spirit guiding your speech and your actions? I really do hope so. And you can kind of do some evaluation and ask yourself, is the Holy Spirit guiding my speech and actions? Well, how would I know if the Holy Spirit was guiding my speech and my actions? Well, does it glorify God? Do your, does your speech and your action glorify God? Because if it does, then that, was, that is something the Holy Spirit would lead you to do, would be to glorify God. If you're finding your words are hurtful, then you'll realize that wasn't of the Lord. That wasn't being led by the Spirit. Instead, that was your own flesh finding its way. And that happens in my life. And so I apologize to my coworkers. Yes, my church coworkers, when I am rude to them or to my wife or to my children. Because my speech is not always seasoned with salt and grace. It's not always led by the Holy Spirit. But thankfully, the Holy Spirit is still within me and working in me and reminds me I need to apologize. I need to... Be humble, because I need to be more like my Savior, Jesus Christ. So are your, are, your, are your speeches and your actions led of the Holy Spirit? Well, what did the multitude hear? Okay, this kind of fits with our speech and our actions. What did the multitude hear that day? Well, let's turn to our passage. Verse 11 says, both Jews and proselytes. What's a proselyte? I don't even know how to say that word. The proselytes were people who came to believe in the one true God of Israel, but were not born in the nation of Israel. Does that make sense? They were born outside the nation, but they came to believe the faith of Judaism. Those were proselytes. 
So both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, were hearing them tell in their own languages, in their own tongues, the mighty works of God. So what did the multitude hear? They heard Holy Spirit-led people glorifying God concerning his mighty works. Oh, let that be said of us. Have you ever heard of that Willamette Community Church? Yeah, I have. Well, what do you know about Willamette Community Church? Well, they are Holy Spirit-led people glorifying God concerning his mighty works. Wouldn't that be great to be known as a church that glorifies God, that is led by the Holy Spirit, that tell of what God is doing in our lives and recognizing his faithfulness throughout all of human history? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Let's be those kind of people. Let's be the kind of people that are led by the Holy Spirit. That people recognize, oh, they are his disciples because they are so loving and the Holy Spirit is at work transforming the lives of the people at Willamette Community Church. What did the multitude hear? They heard Holy Spirit-led people glorifying God concerning his mighty works. What were those mighty works? I don't know. Exactly, but being a Jewish congregation or a Jewish gathering, a Jewish multitude, they probably would have heard stories from the Old Testament of the Creator, of the Great Redeemer, the Rescuer, bringing the nation of Israel out of slavery from Egypt and judging the Egyptian army and Pharaoh. They would have been knowing that he is the great provider they would have known of his mighty works. And I want us to know of his mighty works. We must spend time in his word. So what was their initial response? They've heard these languages. They heard their heart languages spoken. They, they heard of the mighty works of God. And we see two main responses. In verse 12, it says, And all were amazed and perplexed. And they were saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? So some looked for meaning. Maybe you are here today and you're looking for meaning. You're trying to make sense of the hurt in your life. Maybe you're here trying to fill your well that has run dry. Maybe you're here looking for meaning. Well, I can tell you that in God, through his Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can walk in truth and have hope and experience peace and love and find a community of people here in our church that will walk alongside you. Those connection cards are so important for staying connected and sharing what's going on in your life so that we can pray for you and that we can reach out to you and come alongside you. That's what we want to do. So if you're here today and you're looking for meaning, I would say please ask more questions because there is so much meaning. The true meaning to life is found with God in his Son. But that's not how everyone responds when they hear of God some people begin to mock, and that's exactly what happened. Others mocked. They began mocking and said, they are filled with new wine or sweet wine. They were, they were drunk. They said, these guys are drunk. Right? 
And sometimes that happens. When God is at work within people or in a community, sometimes people look for an earthly explanation of what's going on. And this was their earthly explanation. They must be drunk. Which doesn't make a lot of sense because it was only 9 o'clock in the morning. And the other reason it doesn't make a lot of sense is because I've never heard drunk people as described as being articulate and able to speak foreign language as well. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe I just haven't heard the right stories, but that's usually not what accompanies inebriation, right? Yet they're trying to make sense of what's going on, and they're, they're willing to come up with a ridiculous reason why this must have happened. Maybe you're here today, and there's mocking going on in your heart. You think this Jesus stuff, the church, it's kind of ridiculous. Well, I can tell you, it's transformative. And it's very different than a lot of people think. It's not about a bunch of rules. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because God did something that is very perplexing. He said, give me your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. All you have to do is believe in my son who died for your sins. And this, these very things will happen too. As you are witnesses, as you are the church in our community, some people will hear what you are saying and they will recognize it and they will see the meaning in it. But others, they may mock you. And you're going to have to be okay with that. Jesus was mocked. Paul was mocked. These brothers that are being filled with the Holy Spirit, they're being mocked. And Scripture says that the wisdom of God seems foolish to man. And there will be times where you may struggle because people that you're trying to reach may make fun of you or cast you aside. But that shouldn't stop us from being the church. That shouldn't stop us from being witnesses. In fact, what it should do is it should anchor us all the more to the dependence on the Holy Spirit. That we recognize that it is the Holy Spirit that really is at work in the lives of people. And it's the Holy Spirit that is guiding us, or should be. And it's the Holy Spirit that should be working in our hearts so that we might glorify God with our actions. So if you're here today and some of this is new to you, I would encourage you to fill out one of those connection cards and say, I want to know more about this. Can you explain more of how this works? We would be glad to talk with you about this. Because the reality is, is that we have been saved to be the church. And what makes us the church is that we have the Holy Spirit working within us. And the Holy Spirit has placed us into the body of Christ. And now we are members of one another. And we are not alone in this process. We are not alone in this world. Instead, we are walking together, going through this journey of life, hopefully using the tools that God has given us through the Holy Spirit and his people. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for what you have given. We're so thankful that you have given us the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will guide us, and that Holy Spirit will work in our lives as we learn who he is, as we learn from your word, 
as we recognize that the Holy Spirit is about pointing us to the Son. The Holy Spirit is about helping us glorify and help other people know you better. So God, we are so thankful for what the Holy Spirit is doing and has done. We're so thankful that we have been placed into the body of Christ, something we could not have done on our own. We could not have given ourselves birth, but you, in your wisdom, you have made it possible. So God, we thank you for mothers, and we thank you for the ladies in this church. And we thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit who is working in families and in our lives to transform us to be more like your son. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today and looking into God's word. Join us again next week as we continue our study. 